This episode of How to Save the World is sponsored by Atik, a New Zealand zero-waste beauty company on a mission to rid the world of plastic waste. Check them out at atik.co.nz. That's Atik, E-T-H-I-Q-U-E. We're back, another episode of How to Save the World. Um, today I want to talk about how soil can literally save the world as we know it. Cool. Cool. Um, I'm actually a total gardening muppet, um, but I have been lucky enough to surround myself with um, some pretty cool New Zealand soil experts. Um, we bought an old permaculture farm in Matakana last year, uh, so it's been a whole new journey. This is an exciting project. Yeah. So you've yeah. been learning heaps about this stuff over the last year. I've certainly been in the world a bit more than mm-hmm. I than I had previously been. Because um, when you said you wanted us to do an episode on soil, I was yes. like, okay. Yeah, I know. I could tell. <laughs> <laughs> so my challenge is to try and make this as engaging as possible. And actually, I always feel like this about every episode we do, I think, once I've really got my head into it. but. I do think there's something in this that is possibly the most important episode we could ever do. Oh boy, high stakes. Boom. Let's rip into it. And it's not, it's not, this is not an episode for gardeners, like great, there's a few things in here for gardeners, mm. but really this is just for anyone interested in eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Narrowing it down. Yeah, so like the, the way we farm and eat is currently burning through our topsoil so fast that we've just used up half of it in the last hundred years. So, okay, I hate to sort of pump the brakes a little bit, but can you explain, because you've explained this to me before, I think, yeah. off microphone, about the kind of concept of topsoil and how that works Oh, like, okay, right back to we need to... Every, so every everything that we eat, apart from the seafood side of things, comes from topsoil, whether it's... Um, hamburgers or milk or whatever or plants yeah or plants it all comes to that the part of the the soil that's sort of alive enough for stuff to grow in so it's got Um, all the nutrient rich biodiversity all little microorganisms doing the things they need to do to produce the nutrients for stuff to so my Great. basic understanding is that it's the black stuff. Mm-hmm. You've got you've got the yellow stuff or whatever underneath, or the clay or the useless stuff to garden on. But you know, if you're lucky enough to live in a suburb with the volcanic or a place, I should say, with volcanic soil or whatever, it's black, and we all know that black soil is good. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much been my basic understanding. So that's topsoil. And then when you're into soil, you don't call it topsoil. You you call it lots of other things right. uh, because, like you say, it's so biologically alive. Um, so that stuff, which is key to growing our food, is really precious. It actually takes 500 to 1,000 years for one inch of the topsoil to form naturally. Say that again, 500 to 1,000 years to make one inch. One inch of topsoil, to, for, for it to form naturally. If nature's yeah, doing it, yeah. it takes that long, and we've just used up half of it in the oh last no. 100 years. And actually, uh, soil scientists... I have estimated that we've only got about 60 harvests left. Oh, my God. How do you use it up? Well, Because in my brain, it's like it's soil. It's sort of this replenishable, infinite thing. It's, it's, that's a really good question, and that's kind of the crux of what we're going to be talking about. It's, it's that when we're farming, we, we are either actually um, regenerating that soil and building it up, and which is part of... Uh, sequestering car- uh, carbon mm-hmm. and making nutrients available and encouraging that microbe life, um, or we're doing the opposite of all of that. Right. And unfortunately, the way that we have been farming for that last 100 years has has been literally destroying that soil. A lot of it has just turned to dust or we've killed the, the life in it. It just so, turns to dirt, yes, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it, it ceases to be alive. And um, is that through things like pesticides and fungicides sure is okay sure is sorry um, if we're gonna get to that i don't mean to jump the gun sure <laughs> will we're definitely gonna get to that but um the other aspect is that um even if we weren't running out of soil uh the the way we're growing our food and our fiber too you know like our clothes and stuff is putting carbon into the atmosphere if we just made a couple of sim- simple tweaks i guess mm-hmm. um it would be the opposite where it would actually be pulling carbon down out of the atmosphere um, which is why i think this 
episode is actually one of our most important. Um, so when, with our sort of spray-dependent farming, we're putting all that carbon that was stored in the soil, it ends up in the atmosphere, and then a lot of that is ending up in the ocean. And that's interesting because that's a whole other thing that we won't get into, but the oceans are acidifying, mm. and that's because of you know all the carbon landing in it. Right. Um, and... If we could work out how, well, we don't have to work it out because that's what we're going to talk about. It's actually very basic. Um, people have worked it out. <laughs> but if we could connect with uh, how we can farm in a way that actually puts carbon back into the soil, which is really, so it's really bad in the atmosphere. It's really bad in the ocean, but it's really, really good in the soil. So if we can connect with the way we buy our food and the way we grow our food uh, in a way that it is putting carbon back into the, the soil, that's kind of a win-win. So give you some context mm-hmm. of just how important this is. Um, 476 billion tonnes of carbon that used to be in the soil is now in the atmosphere. That sounds bad. That to me is one of those silly numbers. I'm yeah, not very yeah, good yeah. with numbers. I don't, I, well, I don't think anyone can really understand what that means. It's so big. It's just a big crazy number. Yes. Just, to be honest, it doesn't mean anything to me other than it sounds bad, like you say. Mm. But um, this is... Phenomenal. By contrast, everything else that we have done, like uh, in terms of a crazy humanness of putting all that carbon into the atmosphere, everything else. So, so, so things like factories. Yeah, and factories, coal-fired power plants, cars, all industry, cars, seven billion lungs breathing, mm-hmm. everything else. Yeah. We have put about 250 billion tons into the atmosphere. Can you remember that other number? It was a double that. It's ish? about double. Wow. So everything else, all of our entire civilization and crazy flying and cars and industry, the oil industry, all of that is only about half of actually the carbon that's ended up in the atmosphere from the way that we farm. So this is huge. This is, why isn't this talked about? It's why we're talking <laughs> this is about news it, to me. I know. Yeah, so yeah, I know. It's why we're talking about yeah, it. I've, it's so weird. Good. So, so successfully engaged. Abs- you I'm on the board. Soil topic. Yes. Good. And and the other cool the other cool reason why I wanted to talk about this is that reversing this is actually really easy, and it's like one of those classic win win wins. Um, like the if we farm in this way, we end up with more nutrients in the food as well. Um, so we're going to find out how we can do it. Cool. <laughs> um, so uh, for me, I guess I had a bit of a, I, I was on a bit of a journey, I guess. I think it probably started in about 2014 in spring, sort of the garden, this time of year, the gardening season. I was living in Milford at the time, like a suburb in Auckland. Expensive suburb in Auckland. <laughs> they <laughs> so, all are, mate. So just living in this unit, concrete kind of jungle, little like a little square, a couple of metres of soil, um, and I thought it would be a good idea to, to um, grow some. What I wanted to grow was some organic zero-waste lettuces. And by organic, I didn't really know what I meant by that. Just okay. sort of like, I kind of heard vaguely that like sprays and synthetic fertilisers weren't good. So yeah. I was keen to sort of try and um, avoid Do it that. the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah whatever yeah. the other way was, yeah. which basically meant I didn't do much. <laughs> I just put some lettuces in the ground. And um, what happened was these lettuces, you know how they sort of stay in that seedling stage? Well, I don't know. They they did for me anyway. And I was just going, oh, that's all right. They're just establishing their roots. And I kept watering them and kept watering them. And if I didn't, what was kind of went into summer and if I didn't water they just wilted and so I kept watering them and um, the months went on actually and these lettuces really hadn't done much uh, and then uh, oh, I think maybe after two months maybe they actually just went to seed oh, I probably sure. ate maybe two or three lettuce leaves mm-hmm. and um, then I got the water bill and I'd spent $200 watering these lettuces was that the problem? Did you overwater them? No, no, I didn't overwater them. They kept wilting and they okay. were really, you know. The problem was, so friends of mine, um, I guess, who were more into their gardening than I was, said that actually, like even though I'd given them a bit of worm tea, so a little bit of sort of fertiliser, I didn't actually have healthy soil. 
my soil was dead and right. I had just chucked some lettuces into it, which is why it couldn't hold the water. And so I guess for me, that was the beginning of a journey. Of, yeah, kind of going, well, I don't want to be like 200. Can you like, if you imagine if you went to the supermarket and you spent 200, like I would have gotten more <laughs> lettuce if I just bought one lettuce. Yeah. I don't think I would have even had one lettuce worth out of it. 200 bucks. So um, I guess that was part of why I wanted to start learning about this a bit more. Um yeah, and then also just realizing, I guess I'd heard a little bit about these this carbon issue, and just thinking, yeah, I actually want to work out how I can regenerate my soil, but mm-hmm. also how I can um, support the farmers that are that are doing it as well. Because um, I'd seen I'd seen other people, always my mates that are that are the keen gardeners. I've never had green fingers. Um, I've I have seen with my own eyes people effortlessly growing, like not really putting much effort into their gardens at all is this people who know what they're doing exactly. and it looks yes. like they're yeah just yeah yeah no they're, they're, throw some seeds down yeah yep that's right they they do know what they're doing yep. and they've got a few tricks yep. that are actually quite simple um and that's what i wanted to really connect with i just sort of had this vague notion as well that it was better for the planet but um i guess there are a bunch of soil scientists out there who I've been spending a bit of time with this week as I've been thinking about this, um, who are just like totally next level excited about soil. One lady said, oh, my ideal of a, uh, my ideal Saturday night is to stay at home and watch soil videos. Soil, <laughs> soil is just so fascinating. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, next level. And um, part of, uh, we were talking about this just before, in terms of the microbes and what's going on. So, and one tablespoon of healthy soil there are more microbes than there are people on the planet whoa cool <laughs> cool fact that's real cool and this is something in a way that i think is even more powerful as in and on average in that same sort of soil sample there would be about roughly about twenty-five thousand actual different types of microbes Twenty-five thousand different types so it's teeming with it's diverse It's teeming with diversity life. that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. But basically, each microbe has a particular function. Right. So it's 25,000 nuanced different functions going on in your soil that we don't really have any idea about what's going on. Um, but basically, one thing that we can latch on to is that behind every mineral, there's a microbe. Huh. And it's the microbe that makes that mineral available to the plants. So they're kind of literally are forming a bridge. Right. Yeah. They're breaking down sort of the raw materials to give the plants the stuff that they need. Yeah. So if you've got uh, soil with health, healthy microbes uh, and you've got the trace elements in your soil that we need as humans, those microbes will, will be able to make it I guess soluble you mm-hmm, might say mm-hmm. and, or make, make it in a way that the plant can take it up so that we can eat it gotcha. and if those uh, microbes aren't there then um, those nutrients can still be there but we, we won't be getting them in they our food. They can't be tapped. They can't be taken up right. yeah. yeah. Um, so oh, we were talking about topsoil before but um, we could also be we could also be talking about humus um, What's which humus? It's kind of I haven't heard that word before ever. It's really. I, I don't think so. I had to actually spell it funny: H E W M U S to oh, make sure. Humus. No, humus. 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 That's not how it's spelled, but that's how I've written it to make sure I don't accidentally say hummus and embarrass okay. myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I actually did do this week when I was talking to one of New Zealand's <laughs> top soil scientists. Uh, I was like. Yeah, anyway, because it's like the ultimate faux pas that those soil scientists always laugh about, that people who don't know what they're talking about call it hummus. But anyway, it's basically what we're talking about. It's that part of soil that is uh, alive. It's kind of the, if you don't have the humus, you can't you can't hold the minerals, actually, or the microbes. Um, so I guess you kind of think of it as a little house. Okay, that gotcha. They can, that they can live in. That's sort of the petri dish that it all can exist on. It's yeah, sort of I like the that. plate that all Let's it can call live it on. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, so, the other thing that the humus does is it, which is so interesting if we think back to our episode with Mike Joy and the state of waterways. Remember, so much of that was about nitrogen mm. leaching 
from the fertilizers into our waterways and causing a lot of issues, including extinctions mm-hmm. in our waterways and making them unswimmable and actually related to cancer rates and that mm. kind of stuff. So um, humus or these microbes, they bond nitrogen. So in other words, if you add nitrogen into humus-rich soil, it can bond and it can stay there and it makes it stable. If it, if you don't have that, if your soil's lost that, which unfortunately so many of our modern day farms have, uh, or they're in the process of losing it, uh, the nitrogen flows out. Right. And it's very similar with water. Um, for every square meter, so imagine a square meter, for every square meter, um, if you have a 1% increase in humus, you can get this an an extra 16 litres per square metre can be stored. 16 litres? Yeah. For a 1% increase. So I like to think of ice cream containers. That's like my two litre standard in my mind. Yeah. Um, and I so imagine 16 to so eight. Yeah, eight of those. Eight ice cream, ice cream containers. containers sitting in one square metre. Wow. Just for a 1% increase in humus. So sorry. And when you say 1% increase in humus, what is what's increasing exactly so is it um as a proportion of the topsoil the stuff that is humus is that what that means yes gotcha. topsoil so can humus technically is... be dead like I even see. though it can still look good gotcha. it can still look brown it can get humus is the distinct name we give to the like good rich living yes bit. living exactly right yep it's humus is alive that's your twenty five thousand different types of microbes and the um the yeah just the whole uh, if you think of it as a living system. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but you know how with inside a cell, yeah, there's a lot going on inside one cell. That's mm. kind of how I think of it, just as this sort of container with a lot of life inside of it. And yeah. it, it provides the um, the physical possibility that, that life can live. Mm. Gosh, that was, probably wasn't my best explanation. I'm with you. Um, I'm with you, Waveney. The other thing about um, why this is actually really important is because um, this is actually really key for farmers as well, all farmers, is that there there is actually a direct relationship between humus and profit. Uh, you can put less effort in, less inputs in, and have higher returns, mm-hmm. um, which is really counterintuitive yeah. because a lot of, uh, there's a lot of talk that uh, regenerative farming isn't economically viable or it won't be able to feed the world. And actually, it is the opposite. Um, and this isn't just coming from the sort of the, you know, the hippie community yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, a few years ago, the National Bank did a three-year study into what makes some farms profitable uh, because they were lending money to farmers and um, loans kept falling over. So right. it was in their interest they to try to protect and, their yeah, investments. Yeah, they wanted to work out how they could sort of really back their loan. And um, after this three-year study, everybody, like everybody, was quite surprised to see that uh, the National Bank came up with a key determinant of profitability in farming is humus. Wow. Mm. So, and I think that's where we're kind of lucky. They, with a profit motive, came to that conclusion. That's right. They're, I mean, they're yeah. singularly motivated by yeah. finding where the safest bets are going to be with yeah, their farms. That's right. And, and they that figured was, that out. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And the, I mean, there's just so much. And I think, I don't know, I, I won't go on because literally there's sort of no end to this list. One of, because it's, it's a natural system. And when we're divorced from those natural systems, because, you know, we're back to that 20, that's how long the list is, it's 25,000 things that we can't quite understand, you know. Like one of them is that um, soil bacteria kind of works in a way similar to antidepressants. Like like for us as humans, like scientists have discovered that there's these, um, that the microbacteria found in soil actually improves our brain function and boosts our moods. Which I often think about little kids eating soil and they can't get them out of it and how everybody loves a good mud fight. Well, there, I, I know we don't. We've got a lot to cover in this little bit, but I, there's a lot of research going into that at the moment with um, how much the microbiome and especially like gut, uh, the bacteria yes. in your gut affects yep. your brain Health. and your yep. mood. Yep. Yep. And your and your um yeah mental so it's all, acuity. So all, all it's related. all connected. All connected. connected. Yeah. yeah, but there is more, and I said I wouldn't go on, but I I actually am going to delve into this. Um, 
healthy biologically alive like normal soil doesn't need synthetic fertilizer or herbicides or fungicides well yeah because like plant life was growing <laughs> long before we had those things yeah yeah i guess i should qualify like um in terms of pastoral farming you could say it doesn't need it. Like gotcha. there's, there's a few. If you combine um, good soils with a few farming practices that mm-hmm. are now quite readily available and well known, um, those farmers on the pastoral lands shouldn't need to be adding any extra fertilizers. Like it's it, it's a bit of a jump because if you if you were just to stop overnight because your soil wouldn't be healthy, yeah, you wouldn't be able to make that jump. Yes, but it's but but once you're once you've made that transition and they reckon. For, for anyone in New Zealand, they're looking at three to five years max, like quite doable, um, that from that point on, you're not going to need that dependency on these uh, fertilisers, herbicides, fungicides. Um, a little bit uh, different for the uh, the croppers and the, the people who are t- actually constantly taking nutrients off the land because the the cows and the sheep and stuff, because of the way they poo, they're, they're, the nutrients are going back into the soil. Mm-hmm. So there's a nice loop there anyway. Mm-hmm. But with the, if you if it's trees and vegetables, then I you see. probably do need to put in not your regular synthetic fertilizers, but um, compost actually or gotcha. bio matter. But you're um, taking things out. You need, you to, need put to put those nutrients back, back in. in. Yeah. yeah. But but suffice to say, in both situations, um, if it's biologically alive and healthy, you're not going to need these synthetic synthetic fertilizers herbicides and fungicides um so i guess it's it's a bit of a no-brainer that these herbicides are one of the leading causes of extinction um we have we're only just starting to realize that things bioaccumulate. like typically when they test things they're looking sort of at the dosage levels of one hit mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff bioaccumulates as in it as in it stays in the environment and slowly accumulates um killing off um, birds and bees and fish um, and then of course the fungicides and herbicides are just devastating that 25,000 strong microbe community mm. um, and that so to be able to avoid using those for that those re- those reasons alone is huge but um, there so in New Zealand we've, we've, there's two main um, synthetic fertilizers that are used one's urea which is uh nitrogen basically uh and that is applied without carbon and actually it's a carbon that fixes the nitrogen so those two should always be together but um unfortunately the our understanding that we've had to date has meant that we are just applying our reliance on it's actually growing so we were like sort of back in the 80s applying about 20,000 tons and now it's about well it's hundreds of thousands of tons and is it because like we've kind of been killing the soil so like we just dump more of the stuff on and it's sort That's of right. a, yeah. what's, what's it's, the opposite of a virtuous cycle like a, like a downward spiral yeah, sort of thing yeah um it's it is partly because we've intensified a bit with the like, heaps more cows and stuff, so we're asking a bit more of the okay. land. But it's also because we've got this increasing reliance just to get pastures to grow. Um, and then the other one is superphosphate, and this one really blew my mind. I've heard, we've, I think any New Zealander would have heard of superphosphate, mm-hmm. perhaps. I don't know. Um, it, it, it's been it's sort of a backbone of our farming communicate uh, community. Uh, it comes from phosphate, which is a real rock, um, and it isn't pure, right? Because it's a, a real resource. It comes with all sorts of other things in it. Uh, typically, it comes with heavy metals. So when we're um, when we're once we've made the superphosphate, it, those heavy metals have come with it. And when we are using it, are spraying it um, all over New Zealand, uh, we're also uh, accumulating these heavy metals that aren't good um, on the land. Um, there's fluorine, which actually makes, if you get enough of it, it makes grazing animals sick. Um, already farms in some areas are, are exceeding the lower levels like as in most farms, like 90% of farms are exceeding these lower levels. So if you sort of zoom forward a few decades, 
it is possible that we might not be able to graze animals just because they'd be poisoned by the the soil that they're grazing on. And the stuff is just accumulating, as you mentioned before, like it's not going anywhere. Is it Doesn't of- it, no, it's not going anywhere. Um, and the other the other one is I'm going to talk about fluorine and uh, cadmium together uh, because they were both quite high in the phosphate that we were getting from Nauru. Uh, Nauru? You're looking at me really blankly. Yeah, what's Nauru? Nauru's an island. Oh, right, gotcha. Yeah, yep. and um, you know that was the island that uh, famous for being mined to the extent that they've almost got no island left. Oh, what? I didn't know that. Did, does Australia have like a horrible immigration centre on there at the moment? Like a refugee sort of... Yes. That's Nauru, right? Yes, That's, yes. that's, how that's what Nauru, Nauru did after. So they just, they had this blip where a few people got insanely rich and it was like um the the arab emirates right where people were driving around in crazy cars and everything uh, for uh, might have been a couple of decades uh and then they ran out of phosphate and um they actually sold it to us very cheaply mm-hmm. but we took so much of it i remember i think mike joy talking about this right? oh did he i, I, I think um, like didn't the market get flooded in the 80s in new zealand specifically and so they were like encouraging farmers to just basically get as much of the stuff as possible, or that might maybe that was a different sort of fertilizer thing. But I don't know. At, at any rate, yeah, yeah, um, wasn't high on my radar in the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we were getting our phosphate from Nauru, um, which was high in fluorine and high in cadmium, and that is quite similar in concept to lead or mercury, mm. and it's about as toxic as cadmium's a heavy metal, right? It's a heavy metal, yeah. Which is always bad for brains. Like it kind of it well, my very limited understanding of that's why lead and mercury are so poisonous because yeah, well, they those, accumulate into exactly, your, your brain and, and those they can't two, go anywhere. Yeah, we've heard of them. Yeah, and we know they're bad. Yes. Lead's been banned and all sorts of things. Yeah, uh, and this is very equivalent um, in its toxicity. Okay, that's grim. Okay, so gets very worse. Interest, super yeah, interesting. Super interesting, and it does actually. This get is mind worse. blowing. This is so, this is, is all new so, stuff. I know. For I, me. Yeah, it, a lot of this is for me too. Like I'd I, I'd heard vague things, but really just I actually was getting blown away too by um, talking to people about this. Um, okay, so it's going to get next level now, Tim. Um, we better be going down and then immediately getting positive again, talking about some solutions. Sure. <laughs> I'll facilitate that, no problem. Right. Um, so Nauru's ran out of phosphate, mm-hmm. and then um, we went to the next best place, which is really the only place left in the world, which is Morocco, um, which has got some interesting. They're, they're low in those two heavy metals that we were talking about before, but high in uranium, which is another major contaminant. Um, and soil testing is already showing that we are accumulating it in New Zealand soils. Uranium? Uranium. <laughs> Albeit, oh okay, God. so they're, they're saying, oh, it's all right at the moment. The concentration levels are really well below risk level. Um, but when we're looking, when we're bringing all of the issues together, like going back to the fact, when we that horrendous statistic about how we've released more carbon into the atmosphere from the way that we're farming, which is by taking superphosphates and urea and putting them all over the land, when you combine it with all of that and the fact that there's really easy alternatives that are more profitable, you're really kind of going, yeah, I think that might be the straw that broke the camel's back. The uranium? Like, do we really need to put up with that? It's not yeah. like this is, um, it's not like we're stuck in this equation. Yeah. Um, some of the phosphate fertilizers, like triple superphosphate, I don't know why we need this one, but then I'm not a farmer. There is an unavoidable byproduct, which is radioactive. Seems and, bad. And usually getting rid of radioactive stuff is very difficult. Yeah. But, but we're actually just spreading it in a very thin layer across New Zealand. That's so crazy because, I mean, by its very nature, radioactive stuff is going to persist for centuries. It's nuts. And the other thing is that there are there is actually a trade embargo on Morocco at the moment, very similar to the South African one because of apartheid. Uh, in the 80s and 90s and uh, all of the other countries in the world have stopped buying the phosphate from Morocco because uh, they've got one of the longest running territorial disputes anywhere in the world and it's affecting the Sahrawi people 
there's hundreds of thousands of them refugee camps and the Morocco the Moroccans have taken all of their land and all of their coast and all of their phosphate um and so yeah everybody's pulled out the Australians pulled out the American like one by one everyone's but pulled we out haven't. we we're actually the only buyer left uh that, and I think that comes down to um, well, maybe it's lots of things, but we are in New Zealand pretty uniquely hitched to yeah. this. Um, we are pastoral farmers. We're really reliant on it. and um, We got hooked on the we're stuff. We're hooked, and the way we have been farming and our understanding, although that is changing um, in some spheres actually quite quickly, but essentially there's this history of pastoral farming which just revolves almost entirely around grass and getting nutrients to grow the grass from these synthetic fertilizers yeah wow so there you go it's so it's so interesting when you dig into these things that it's it seems always to be the case that it's not just the environment that misses out it does seem to be like that doesn't it there's all these interconnected bad things and it's like when you do it the right way there's all these interconnected good things yes. that don't yeah. seem immediately yeah. apparent yeah and the reverse is also true i know that's why i've gone from feeling overwhelmed by all of this stuff to just going no this is awesome yeah it's just like actually this is simple win-win-win stuff yes this episode is brought to you by Atik. Atik is a New Zealand natural beauty company that stopped over 3.3 million plastic wow. bottles going to landfill. That is a lot, eh? That's, like, that's a lot. Their gorgeous hair, face and body wash products are mindfully packaged in biodegradable and compostable materials because Atik are dedicated to building a better world. Atik's products are all certified animal cruelty free, made of only plant-based and vegan ingredients and they're kind to your wallet because they last two to five times longer than bottled beauty products. Get yourself or someone you care about some Atik today by going to atikworld.com. And that's Atik, E-T-H-I-Q-U-E. It's French, I think. Having said that, despite kind of knowing some of that stuff, I, I knew that probably what I needed to do was find food that was grown without these synthetic fertilizers, which if you're not connected to a farm and you can't ask about how they spray, really the only way you can do that is to buy organically certified food. Mm -hmm. Another really good way is to connect with farmers at the market and just ask them. Mm -hmm. Um, But So I kind of knew all of that, but I still was actually not really doing much because, well, I mean, I guess I sort of, maybe I managed to buy some organic eggs once in a while, but... There's so much, eh, and yeah, to to get you to move on stuff. And so for me, I guess it was about thinking that things were going to be expensive or that it's hard to find. I just didn't know how. It wasn't Do my you know, habit. I, I um, recently had a conversation with my wife, who started listening to the podcast. Shout out! Yay! And um, she had quite better a rev- than my husband. He hasn't <laughs> listened to any. Terrible. Um, she had quite a revelation just listening to what you were saying about the importance of organic stuff. And I had, I absolutely had this as well, that like we kind of both suspected organic was maybe a bit of a rort, mm. but it is a real thing. It's a real A real thing. solution. Like it's a real good it's solution huge. to these problems. And I think my, I, I'm, I'm going to be gunning to convince you to take some pretty quantifiable steps um, by me. the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I don't know, like, because... If, if you're like me, you kind of can have that head kind of going, yeah, 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 I agree. But you you still don't sort of go out. And you don't internalise it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know. Why is that? Because it's too weird or it's not normal or your mates aren't doing it. Sometimes it takes a while to, you know, yes, really. percolate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then, oh, and maybe it's about what you're saying too, about kind of not really believing it can't really be that bad. Yeah. Because like, this is what we've been doing and it seems okay. The grass is still green. It takes a long time when you've grown up in a system to, when someone points out it's, and the other, real munted to go oh shoot especially you know like i oh, a lot of new zealanders i certainly do know farmers you yeah. personally know people and they're great yeah they're awesome people and they're not environmental vandals they actually Absolutely care not. a lot yeah about the environment and so it's trying to add those two things up mm. as well and just going oh you know it can't be can't be that bad but i think the final thing for me that sort of switched me into going yeah I am going to buy as much as I can organically from this point on or or grow and so that's part of my um, sort of petering journey um, of trying to grow better food um, is 
I was actually around um, a book that I read that for health reasons called The Toxin Solution by Dr. Joseph Pizzorno. Um, and he's a doctor, he's a scientist, and he loves researching stuff, which is great because he's in the um, holistic medicine sphere, which is often um, dismissed because there's not a good research base for it. And he really understands that. So he's pouring all available money into really big research studies and stuff to sort of really make some of these connections where uh, typically when we test for um, causes, you know, when something goes wrong in your body and people are trying to work out what's the cause of this or or conversely when you've got a new um, fertiliser or herbicide or chemical or whatever, um, and people are testing to see, is that okay? Is it okay? What level is okay for human consumption? It's all done in, in these silos yeah. without, without they these. Look at one yeah, they look at one very specific thing. Yeah. And they so test what, for that one thing. And what thing. he is doing is saying, guys, we need to look at what are some of the reactions that all of these things in our bodies have. And we need to look at which the studies in terms of what the governments are saying are our standards. Nobody's enforcing that you have to look at bioaccumulation so yes it might be that this particular lettuce leaf has got a very low level of this particular thing and it could never hurt you but what happens when you eat these uh, chemicals for 20 years or Mm. 30 years so he's looked at that and it was actually reading that book that tipped me over the edge into going right I'm gonna I'm gonna buy organically and again forgive me if you're just about to head into this but so you haven't explicitly said yet, what is the alternative? What are these other methods of getting away from super triple phosphate or whatever it is and, yeah. and c- uh, c- cadmium, is that what it's called? Um, and, yeah, yeah. And all of these heavy metals yeah. that are coupled with the okay, fertilizers and stuff. get into it. Yeah. Okay. So um, for pastoral farmers, it's basic things. This is really cool, actually. It is allowing the grass to grow a little bit longer and keep it longer so you're moving stock a little bit faster and the interesting thing about grasslands is that they have evolved with large animals that eat them so it's actually part of their natural system to have these large animals going through chomping stomping pooing Mm -hmm. Um, so if we just allow that grass to keep a little bit longer basically the length of the grass is reflecting what's going on with the roots so longer Ah, grass equals longer roots Um, and those longer roots that is how you fix your carbon which sort of starts or at least uh, perpetuates a cycle of carbon being locked into the soil mm-hmm. and providing a, a home uh, for all of the microbes. So it's as kind of as simple as that, but then you can add on um, that rather than sort of just having a monocrop of one type of grass that maybe you've chosen because you get the best return or mm. whatever we think you do, um, is going for a range of, and this, you can get, you can, there's people who will um, come and help with this stuff, or even if you just Google um, like biological farming, carbon farming, holistic management, long grazing, regenerative farming, those are the sorts of words you could Google and just to connect with people who can help with this stuff. Because um, you can get a diverse, plant out different grass species. Some of those will be nitrogen fixes. Um, and if you do those two things, you will have the need for less fertilizers like, fertilizers, like I was saying before, maybe even zero need for fertilizers. You can have less cows for the same return, which is quite important for debt management. Yeah. Um, less vet bills because you've released these nutrients that the cows are, or whatever you're grazing are uh, now able to access and they're, they're generally healthier. And from a non-financial point of view, like just basic animal welfare, like from a kind of moral yeah. point of view, like yeah. your cows are going to be happier they're and happier. healthier. Yeah, and this is another, you know how we talk about methane being a bit of an issue mm. for us? Um, so um, Alan Savory, who's a um, pioneer of regenerative farming, uh, has said that if you farm it, like do these basic basic things, you can actually start removing more methane than you're producing. You can actually fix the methane yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. So in, in the same way that it gets like brought into the root system or I guess so. by whatever mechanism yeah, it works, yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So incredible. I thought that was quite interesting as well. Um, yeah. So 
um, there's an organic dairy and pastoral group that is active in New Zealand and that is a, a group for farmers by farmers um, and they've got some great resources and opportunities to connect like regionally um, and they've, they've got really cool little working groups around pasture and animal health um, so I thought that they're, they're probably a really good place for people to start and there's lots of consultancies and training services as well um, which I think a bit of a ga- basic Google would bring up um, I found and I spoke with people from Integrity Soils, um, and they've kind of got they've got this little team of regenerative agriculture coaches that can actually come out to your farm and and connect with you. Um, this is, because this this ticks into an interesting thing because I can understand why there would be so much resistance from farmers to try a different method because it um, there's a lot of money on the line. And to yes. try a different system yeah. from what has been at yeah. least keeping your head above water up until now is a huge risk. It's huge, huge. And the transition as well of things is, is always going to be a risky mm. time. But the um, science is proving that this is the thing to the do. The science is really behind this. In all this. sorts of ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, For the market garden gardeners, for the market gardeners and the croppers, um, because they're robbing those nutrients, it's important uh, to give back um, and to basically compost, which is a bit of a crossover because I just wanted to touch on home gardeners as mm. well. And it's just all about compost. Um, compost is, if you're not, not the way I used to compost, where I was just throwing up my food scraps. That's what I'm doing. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Tell me how to fix it. You need to put carbon with it because food scraps is nitrogen. Without- is that grass clippings or is that leaves? Because I know there's like green, brown, and food. It's <laughs> oh my basic understanding, God. and you need bits of all of them. Yeah, what 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 you've got is actually nitrogen and carbon, or another way of saying it is green and brown. Mm-hmm. Nitrogen uh, isn't so stable. So if something dies, like your lawn clippings, mm-hmm. at first they're actually a nitrogen source. So if you throw them in your compost when they're fresh, there'll be a big lump of nitrogen you've chucked in. Mm-hmm. If you were to leave them fluffed out over your lawn, mm. um, and then they'd get they dry, and then if you were to put them in your compost, they'd be carbon. Huh. So um, composting in a nutshell, you need to have two-thirds carbon and one-third nitrogen, which is kind of tricky normally for your home gardener because we're all just using it as an well apart from the people who actually do grow beautiful lettuces uh, we're all just using it as a way to get rid of our food scraps right but actually um, if you're going to do it properly uh, you need to be constantly gathering your carbon sources which can be egg cartons cardboard boxes tissues like uh, just anything that's brown leaves um, dry lawn clippings uh, eggshells even Um, yeah so unfortunately, your coffee grinds and your tea, even though they look brown, they're still nitrogen rich, so they're considered because it's like a food stuff yeah, is the way yeah, to think of it. Yeah. Okay, cool, got that. Yeah. So, um, and a way to connect in with um, learning the stuff, and I can say from my own painful experiences, is that it's so simple when you know what you're doing, <laughs> but if you don't, it's um. Well, I'm give it a go because that's what I've always done, and it, you, I mean it's probably the eighty twenty rule. You kind of get eighty percent of the way there, but yeah. um, it doesn't hurt just to have a Google and look to see if your council or someone else, but councils generally offer composting courses uh, that are generally free or, or reduced. Cost I would or love. I'm going to take one of those. Also, check out so Aucklanders check out Compost Collective. Choice. Choice. Um, yeah, and the other thing, if you're not such a keen gardener, but you're a keen eater, is it really comes down to buying spray-free food, um, which is food from regenerative farmers, because as I discovered with my lettuces, you can't grow food with just by not spraying. You have to you know, know a couple of life hacks. Um, so if you're shopping in your supermarket, all, all you can do really is look for organic certification. I would just, personally, I would just ignore everything else. It's too confusing. Mm-hmm. There's no rules, no standards around spray-free. Right. Um, well, we talked about greenwashing. Yeah. I think you go down a rabbit hole of going, oh, this looks natural. Mm-hmm. So I would really strongly consider just going for a certification at a supermarket. But at a farmer's market, what you can ask, what you really want to ask is, do you use artificial fertilizers? 
because that's the crux of it. Right. If you can look somebody in the eye and ask them that, and then just have a comp, they don't have to be certified. I mean, you know, whatever, there's gold standards and stuff. Mm. But if people are on journeys, it's great to be able to support them. Um, but there's heaps out there. There's organic supermarkets that are popping up now, like Huckleberry. Um, and that's when you can start to kind of trust that brand. Yeah. Um, and they offer, well, Huckleberry particularly, but generally they'll have, because this is a group of people that have decided to run a supermarket that care about this stuff and they tend to understand the deeper issues. And so they will have, like Huckleberry's got a sort of like a traffic light system. It can be organic certified or it could be spray free. Um, and so you've got some assurance that you're, you're heading in the right direction there. Um, do you want more? Yeah. Um, there are wholesalers, if you're conscious of your budget, because um, organic can be a little bit more. But if you kind of know where to shop, actually, you can uh, shop differently, but it's not going to affect your, your budget in the same way. So, this is your bulk bin yeah, sort of places, your yeah. refilleries. Yep, so refilleries, organic food from a refillery could still be more than um, what you'd pay for um, non-organic uh, but so Chantel for example there's probably others but they're a really big wholesaler of organic food in New Zealand not a retailer but a wholesaler um, if you you can form a with your mates oh, you yeah. can just form a bit of an informal buying group mm-hmm. and so long as you're over their minimum quantities they can they can will nice you can so tap into that wholesale yeah. yep Yep. Buying market. Yep. And that's great for dry goods and stuff. Um, but they actually do leafy greens and things as well. Um, and then you can have, if there's someone in your community that's already done that, so you could join your local food cooperative. Yeah. And then, of course. Is it what a food co op is, effectively? Well, one form that it can take. What a food co op is, I think my understanding, or the one that I'm part of, is. Um, you do a little bit of voluntary labour. So particularly, my deal is that I can shop there. Every time I shop, I get a minus one credit. And every time I volunteer, I get a plus three credit. So in other words, I can shop three times before I need to volunteer. And the volunteering is pretty painless. It's um, So they're only open once a month. It's all dry goods. And so I, it's not like I'm just popping in every time and having to volunteer every week. It's like every three months max. It's dry goods. And I'll, I'll only go every sort of five months anyway. Right. Um, and uh, the volunteering would be helping with pack up or helping with set up, something like that. Sweet, easy. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Um, yeah, and the other the other thing, and this is kind of coming back to a very specific action, I think that you could take because you've got to start somewhere. And a really good place to start, I think, is there's a concept called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean Fifteen, which is kind of like not all food is created equal when it comes to this stuff so the dirty dozen is a list of 12 or so foods that have tested positive for like dozens of different chemicals um and they are they they basically need to be farmed in a way they're just not so happy they we need a we need to throw a lot more synthetic crap at them to get them to grow in the way we want right. if we're not farming regeneratively. So those, if you want to start somewhere, Google Dirty Dozen and go, right, I'm going to try and at least we'll, avoid those. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of links in these <laughs> show notes. But yeah, like for example, potatoes are dirty, but kumara are clean. Huh. Kumara are on the clean 15 list. Um, apples are dirty, avocados are clean. Yeah, and then with leafy greens, they are really bad, which is such an interesting one because we think of it as really healthy. Yeah. Um, but if they're not organic, like they are some of the, the most heavily loaded toxic um, chemicals True. that you can I you have can not have. been looking at the organic label on oh, my lettuces, my spinach. Yeah, I I would, that, that would be a really good place to start. Um, yeah, it's just, and then in the, the, and actually, the cool thing is that those are some of the easier things to grow. Yeah. Like I'm not, as I've been saying, not much of a gardener. So sort of growing like eggplants and even tomatoes are a bit beyond me. But leafy greens I can manage. Yeah. I'm starting to be able to actually do that now, which is awesome. Um, so that's quite a nice win too for the, the wallet. Yeah. And then if you are gardening at home, um, we talked about compost. But the other one is actually not digging um, because that disturbs the microbes. They actually, the microbes like to live on a certain level, and when you dig down, you know, kind of standard spade depth, it really 
pisses them off. They all get turned into an area of the soil they don't want to be in. It takes them ages to work back and they die in the process. And the air is what kind of gets in and releases the carbon. Yeah, and, yeah. that was an interesting, because full disclosure, we went to a doco about this the other day and I didn't realise, but yeah, all the tilling of the land, that physical process just releases all this carbon into yeah, the air. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, that yeah. makes sense. And if you don't want to compost or if whatever, um, just check out sharewaste.org.nz. They're awesome. Um, you can get other people's food waste or you can give it away. Um, yeah. Choice. Chores. Well, who knew that soil was going to be so freaking important to everything we're talking about? Not me, not this guy, but it is. <laughs> it is. And it is so important because that, um, the thing that sequesters the carbon in soil is specifically a fungi called Mike. Oh, Micro, uh, hang on, microzole, microzole fungi, uh, which is this fuzzy network. It's kind of like a plant internet, someone told me. Um, So that fungi specifically is arguably the planet's most important organism because it's responsible for sequestering this carbon and 90% of it has gone so far. However, it's a pretty easy fix to get it back. We can restore we, we it. Can, we can we re- can actually re inoculate uh, right. where it's been lost. It's apparently only costs about ten bucks a hectare to do that. Um, and we are really lucky in New Zealand. Really lucky. We've still got great pasture left. We haven't ruined it all. Um, yeah, so it's a, we're actually really well timed to make some changes. At least freaking do it, everyone. Let's freaking do it. Um, thanks for doing all the research, Wave. That was super interesting. That was interesting, eh? And this, I interested myself. I'm going to um, take a compost course as well. Cool. I'm going to check up on that. Okay, cool. Yay. Hold me accountable. Um, thank you for listening. Is there anything else that we need to add? We're going to have a lot of links and information in the mm, show notes, so mm. check those out. Um, share this episode with people who you think might be interested in this. Share it. If you've got family that are farmers or mates or whatever... Please share it. And flick us a message as well because there's definitely some things that we won't know as people who are not part of that farming community. So if there's yeah some big blank spots, um, yep. get on facebook.com slash how to save the world, send us a post or a message and maybe fill in some blanks for us. Yeah, really keen to court it all. And um, yeah, just keep that connection and that relationship going because um, yeah, I want to know if what we're saying makes sense to you guys. Right on. We will catch you in the next episode of How to Save the World. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Thanks again to our wonderful sponsor, Atik. Atik are a zero-waste beauty company dedicated to ridding the world of plastic waste. Get yourself or someone you love some Atik products from atikworld.com. 